there should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it more. Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing the murder of a 16-year-old girl. The details may be triggering for some listeners. Everything discussed, unless released by law enforcement, should be considered speculation. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. The story that I will be telling today is of the murder of Cassie Jo Stoddart, who was a 16-year-old student from Idaho. So, the murder of Cassie took place in Bannock County, Idaho, United States, on September 22, 2006. Cassie was stabbed to death by classmates Brian Lee Draper and Tori Michael Adamsick. Brian and Tori met each other at the same high school Cassie attended. Brian had moved from Utah. They grew close and quickly discovered that they both enjoyed movies. Specifically, they enjoyed horror. Brian had more of an obsession, it seemed, with serial killers, one of the main crimes being the Columbine shootings. So that's a, that's a mass shooting? I... The two students. Yeah. That would deck themselves out in trench coats and hide guns and dylan Quibold and eric harris mm-hmm. yeah uh, the trench coat mafia they called themselves yeah and it actually there's more correlations between brian and like not that tori didn't think that too it's just brian had a little bit more fascination with it because brian felt like he was also like an outcast just the same way that they were mm-hmm. And so he almost like related himself to them. And I have a quote somewhere. It's almost glorifying them. And he wanted to do something as great as them. Yeah. And there there are unfortunately a lot of kids like that. Yeah. Especially the ones who feel ostracized and bullied. Um, actually, if you want to do the case, we can. But I, I know that um, they used to, Eric and, and Dylan used to walk around with like a video camera all the time and they'd make little horror movies and stuff in drama class and stuff like this but they always had their video camera on them too and um but there's one that i mean was interesting to me and i'm not excusing them or or anything like that but they were walking down the hallway there's just three or four of them in their little group and they were walking down the hallway with their video camera on and there was a group of jocks coming towards them and they actually got like body checked out of the way of the jocks and that just kind of and just the way they reacted to to it to me seemed like a just kind of an everyday run-of-the-mill day of walking down the high school halls for these for these kids i don't feel sorry for them just strictly because of the fact what they did in retaliation to these bullies but um they were definitely sick and that's what happens when bullying hits the wrong person that's right you, you, that's why we there. that's you, why we've said before you know always be kind you don't know what anybody else is going through you also don't know what kind of maybe mental illness is just beneath the surface wired that's right you gotta be it. you gotta you be to so be. careful nowadays and not even careful like just be nice to other people just because be you kind be. um 
And it's very interesting because O'Brien looked at them and Tori looked at them like they were the same as them. But in reality, it seems like they actually had friends. Mm -hmm. They could approach people in the hallway and say, hey, what's up? Say hi to the camera. Mm -hmm. It was not the same scenario. Mm -hmm. And they like to almost put themselves in this dramatic role of a movie. Mm -hmm. And they got caught up in it. They really did. So he had related to the videos the Columbine shooters had taken showing them as outcasts. And like I said, he felt the same. Later on, Brian had described his life as being worthless. Um, And and again, that's him comparing his life to the bullied Columbine shooters. Hmm. His life was worthless. He didn't feel like he was worth anything and he was a nobody and he wanted to be somebody, even if that somebody was a cold-blooded murderer. And in fact, he almost preferred it that way. I feel like um, it's not, I don't know, I don't know the right word, but um, it's not desensitization. It's just the glorification, like even, even the fictional movies like Halloween and, and Scream, you know, it makes these, these killers out to be larger than life almost. And for an outcast to put himself on that level. I mean, and they it, almost want to be romanticized. And absolutely. it has been proven time and time again. People like Stu. They like Billy from Scream. And these are the Scream murders. Mm-hmm. People even like Ted Bundy. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't get the Jeff Jeffrey Dahmer thing. I think that's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. <laughs> weird dose. Spoiler alert. Let's look at Scream 6. Are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to say stuff about movies that just came out whatever um six isn't out or yeah six six is out i just watched it no five you watched five okay well five then six is coming out in march let's look at scream five um (laughs) billy loomis didn't seem spoiler alert (laughs) i said spoiler alert. yeah yeah spoiler alert okay billy loomis wasn't portrayed to be this evil sadistic serial killer that he was in the previous you know in the original screen movies so um there's there's also that side of it too so you're looking at a different generation who's now going to get into these scream franchise movies and they've heard about billy loomis and they've seen that movie but now all of a sudden scream five he's the father of this girl who she sees who's not the villain I mean, she's seeing him as her dad who killed, but it's just an aberration. Yeah, but he's helping her survive. You know what I mean? There's a different. I think showing that she has that serial killer like maybe, but the nuance there, the nuance there is that you know he's a he's a he's a caring father who's looking out for his daughter, and I think that that spins a. And I'm guilty of it. I don't look at Billy Loomis and go, ugh. I go, he's in this movie. Yeah, for sure. And that's my point. I did too. I was like, oh, look who it is. How neato. Yay. You know, it's not like, I wasn't like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's, Which is completely he's a horrifying killer. Mm-hmm. No different than Ted Bundy. Different. It's different. One is an actor playing a role and one is somebody who did real disgusting things to people and should burn in hell and he is that i think it really portrays like if you are just involved with liking somebody's looks to find a man who did so many brutal things attractive Mm -hmm. come at me if you will i'm coming at you back (laughs) yeah no i i don't think that that's well for me my and i'm not obsessed with ted bundy i'm fascinated by um the 
the human mind that becomes that level of sick. Yeah. What drove him to do what he did and how was he able to have a semi-normal relationship all the while doing all the horrific things that he was doing? So I'm going to let you go ahead with the story, but... These boys were stupid. I think they would have continued on to become serial killers mm -hmm. had they not been so stupid. It really does play into the the fact that at least Tori's mind was, like his brain had something wrong with it. Tori? Yeah, the frontal lobe or whatever. He, like they all said, the cops, everybody, he did not act like his age. He acted still like a very young child. And that comes into, you know, how these people do the things that they do and why they act the way that they do. Like right now, Tori wants to appeal, appeal, and appeal because I almost see him sitting there going, it's not fair. He would whine about it at the beginning. Now he's a little bit older. I'm sure he's maybe acting a little bit older now, hopefully. But But also, and I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong here and I'm not remembering it right, but Tori's parents were also like that. They and, were also yeah. saying it's not fair. This isn't right. And fully, his they mom weren't fighting. They weren't his helping him take accountability and responsibility for his part. No matter what his part was, you yeah. still need to take responsibility. And as a parent, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that you understand where you went wrong in that I situation. I totally agree, and it it is my com- controversial opinion that Tori has gotten it worse than brian technically when there is significantly less evidence against tory than there is brian so it is a little confusing and we're going to get into that a little bit more as well as people and like i know you said it once but like people online too so it's not just you it's almost like a common to me misconception that brian almost accepted his role through um telling the truth through three interviews but he didn't tell the truth he told lies for a while he said he didn't do it tori ran upstairs and did it and like i said we're gonna get into all of this and then actually they both were appealing their sentences which i think shows that they're not sorry enough both of them and brian actually got one of the sentences thrown out tori did not but just just going off of what i could find um, and going back to kind of like the the story, the two bonded. So Brian and Tori bonded over these similarities. And eventually they decided that they were going to make their own scary movie. It's Tori who eventually brings up the movie Scream, giving this crime the name The Scream Murders. And like I said, he didn't quite act his age. And the way that he told the police was like, just like scream like we, i thought we were just making a movie i didn't think that it was actually going to escalate to that god so on the night of september 22nd 2006 cassie was house sitting for her aunt and uncle allison and frank on whispering cliffs drive in northeast bannock county her aunt and uncle were out of town and gave cassie an opportunity to make some extra cash by house and pet sitting while they were away which they had three cats and two dogs, just like me. Hmm. I was like, oh, wow, that is a lot of work. It is a lot of animals to to watch. And the responsibility to that is 
pretty high, which goes into in a little bit where her boyfriend ends up saying, like, well, come stay with me and my mom. And she can't leave. She's like, no, I have to stay here for the animals. Yeah, you can't just leave that many animals by themselves. She was pretty much trapped there. It's pretty sad. Cassie had invited her boyfriend, Matt, over to watch a movie. And in my experience, house-sitting was always, like, a fun experience growing up. It usually meant you could eat snacks, invite friends over, and have some privacy away from home. Like, if one of my friends is house-sitting and they invited me over, I was like, ooh, yay, fun. Um, And Matt arrived around 6 p.m. And later, classmates Brian and Tori came over to the house as well to hang out. Sadly, Cassie gave the friends a tour of the house, including the basement, This likely gave the two boys even more confidence in their plan to murder Cassie as now they had the lay of the house. So did I read somewhere or is this the same thing that you've never seen that I'm talking about that Brian unlocked the door in the basement while they were down there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, That is indeed what he did. He unlocked the door. It's very planned. And this is where it comes into like, I get that, like, they're both sick. It's just that when you put it all in this form, Brian unlocked the basement door. Brian was, like, he was admittedly the one to do a lot of these things. The ringleader is what it seems like to me. Now, is there that many boys in high school willing to go and murder somebody? That's the question. I don't think so. If I am, and I don't, it's hard to put yourself in that position, but if I'm 16 and I think that we're just like saying crazy things just to be funny and fucked up, whatever the fuck they were doing, it is possible, maybe, that they didn't actually think that it was going to get to that point. I think that's hard to believe. I don't believe that because you made the videos and you obviously had plans to go and kill her. But you know, when they bought the knives, Brian bought three, spent like 40 bucks. Tori spent $5, bought one small knife. Did he think in his head, I'm going to use this to kill somebody? Or was he thinking, okay, well, I'm just, I I have five bucks, so I'm going to get this small knife. And then that way, you know, if I want to use it later for something else, I can. It just, to me, it, it, it shows at least more so where their brain capacity was at, is what I'm saying. So Brian acted his age more so. Still wanted to kill her. Tori acted like a kid. A sick kid. Tori, I don't think, has a chance. But I am worried about Brian. Possibly getting out one day. Oh, me too. So the four teens went into the living room to watch the film Kill Bill Volume 2. But Brian and Tori decided to leave about an hour in, saying they wanted to watch a movie at their local movie theater instead. And then it was just Matt and Cassie. So Matt said to police that the lights went out at one point, which naturally spooked Cassie. Matt even called his mom and asked if he could stay the night with Cassie, but his mother said no, and if Cassie wanted to come to their house, she could. Cassie declined the offer. Like I said before, she was being held responsible for those animals and that house. And very sadly, this was a fatal decision. Cassie's body was discovered two days later when her aunt and uncle, along with their 13-year-old daughter, came home on September 24th. It was the 13-year-old who first walked into the home, and when she did, she began to scream. 
Her parents ran inside to see what was happening, and it was then they discovered Cassie's lifeless body on the floor next to the couch. So let's get into that. There was blood everywhere, on the carpet, furniture, and walls. Allison called 911 right away, and I'm going to play that clip here. What's going on? Let me get your automatical stay on the line. After the 911 call, they called Cassie's mother and stepfather. Once Cassie's stepfather arrived, he called her brother Andrew to let him know what had happened. Andrew said that when he received that call, his stepfather was sobbing on the phone, but managed to let him know that Cassie had been murdered. Andrew stated he dropped the phone and just crumbled to the ground, not knowing how to process the tragic news. Investigators arrived soon after and quickly ruled out burglary. The autopsy report revealed that Cassie had been stabbed 30 times in her chest, neck, back, and abdomen. Between 9 to 12 of the blows were considered to be fatal. She also had defensive wounds on her hands and arms. They first thought of boyfriend Matt, of course. That's who they thought had seen her alive last. Also, when you see a frenzy of stabbing, oftentimes it's because the attacker knows the victim and, you know, perhaps a romantic partner who flew into a rage um, did it. So, but Matt was eager to assist in the investigation and he walked the investigators through the entire day of Friday and the autopsy report showed that that was the day Cassie was murdered. Matt even told them about how Brian and Tori had come and gone. On September 25th of 2006, Brian and Tori were brought in for questioning for the first time. As they were both 16, they were allowed to have their parents with them. The questioning of the two soon revealed inconsistencies. They both had troubles answering certain questions. Their alibi was supposed to be going to the movie theater, but they couldn't say one fact about the movie. They couldn't describe the plot. Brian just kept on repeating that it was a boring movie. And honestly, the video of the interviews is just rather uncomfortable to watch because like Brian stutters when he lies. And then also like just sitting there and being like, well, the investigators are saying, just tell us one thing about the movie. And Brian's like, I feel I like <laughs> I feel like he um he stuttered a lot all the time. A huge part of evidence as well, um, where Brian literally says he doesn't like leave the house in that video and say, We just killed Cassie. He says I just, I just killed Cassie. It's just a weird thing to say. Back to the movie, he knew that the movie was called Pulse, but nothing else about it. <laughs> Um, and it was a couple days later that Brian, and this is in quotations very heavily, confessed. Because he does not confess, he just, yeah, he, he spins a story. 
So Brian wanted to put it on Tori fully at this time. He even went as far as saying he didn't even stab Cassie at first. But the evidence that piled up after his statement was undeniable. Now, the other side of this is that Tori, when being questioned, was really sticking strong to it, which does play into like his sick mind. Like just he, I truly believe, would have went to his grave never telling the truth like always and he still is kind of proving that actually right now um and the shock on tori's face when the investigators come back to tori and say like ryan told us we know where you know your masks are and stuff like that the shock on his face confirms that aren't his parents sitting there with him though he was sick not in frame at least not in the in the footage it's just him and he's hunched over with his head down. And the second they say it, he snaps his head up <laughs> and looks at them like, dude, if you're trying to keep a secret, maybe don't react that way. But so, uh, yeah, the show that you're looking for is called Lost for Life. I can't find it on YouTube. Okay. I don't know. It's not all about them. There's like three cases mm -hmm. and they're talking to all the inmates that would talk. Yeah, no, I didn't Just see that. Just the young I killers, it. right? Lost for life. Yeah. So it, I mean, it shows. Maybe they took it down because of the thing that I was about to touch on that was ruled. He's uh, he's like an adult in this. Like he's. Oh yeah, I mean, it would have been. This happened in two thousand and six. Yeah. So probably twenty eighteen ish. So he's quite a bit older mm -hmm. in this one. So it's just it's interesting to me to see yeah. him admit to his part, unlocking the door planning it videotaping so so brian's first story was that during the house tour cassie gave them brian unlocked the back door in the basement so that he and tori could enter again later when they told cassie and matt they were leaving the house to the theater he confessed they never actually left the property they went outside for like 10 minutes, went to the car to put on their masks and gloves and grab their knives, and then re-entered the home through the basement. So he told the truth about that. He said they hid in a small room where the circuit breaker was. They had turned the lights off once, hoping Matt and Cassie would venture to the basement where they would scare them. And scare is supposed to be in quotations here because they obviously had other plans. They weren't just trying to scare them. But I think he means scare them and then murder them. They didn't just want to take a life. They wanted to torture and then take a life. When that didn't work, though, they turned the lights back on. They messed with the breakers more, hoping someone would come down, but no one did. Matt had left with his mom and it was only Cassie now. When no one came down, Brian's first story was that Tori just ran upstairs and started stabbing Cassie. He was like, yeah, I was just, what? Brian. Brian. Yeah. He was like, I was downstairs. Right, 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 right. Tori just ran upstairs and started stabbing her. I was like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's exactly what happened here. So you're a liar. <laughs> um, so almost this kind of reminds me of um, how I would feel. I feel about Brian the way that investigators and everybody uh, feels about Kagan. It's like, okay, so are we supposed to just believe some of your truths? And like, but like, what about... The fact that you lie and you lie and you lie and you lie. Well, how do we pick that apart? Mm -hmm. Through evidence, for sure. And videos. Idiot. Brian's an idiot. They're both idiots. Okay. 
So in the interviews, especially after Tori finds out that Brian ratted him out, imagine like thinking you're going to be this notorious like serial killer, the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And you and your buddy, like you talk about it the same way and you guys are really going places and whatever. And the investigator comes back in and says, so Brian said that you ran up the stairs and started stabbing Cassie. Imagine just being like, what? Is that what Brian told you? Well, actually, what had happened was, and that's exactly what happens. Like, he he holds out for a bit. But now knowing that Brian's ratting him out, now we're going to play the, you know, eight-year-old boy game. He did it. No, he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the boys fully turn on each other in the rest of the interviews. Later on in Brian's fourth interview, he says Tori was the first to stab Cassie and that he did stab her too, but only in the arms and legs. I wonder if he had an attorney by this point. Yeah, right. Right? Like, okay. Like, that's what I'm talking about. You're slowly turning the lie meter, just waiting to see when the investigators will take it as the final answer. Mm-hmm. He also said he only stabbed her in the arms and legs because Tori threatened him to and stated, like, Tori stated to Brian that she was going to die anyway, so you better ever threatened him to do it and again so hard to believe this story Mm -hmm. you bought three knives you unlocked the fucking basement door you're okay with breaking and entering you 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 talk on a camera talking about how you pretty much glorify murder and criminals and rapists and we're supposed to believe that you that that's how that happened and also basically planning the murder on videotape too right in like, detail and they yeah. end up finding a burnt piece of paper essentially that they couldn't make out everything that had been on that piece of paper but they could make out that it was plans for murder hmm. and on video they confirmed that they did try to kill other people in cassie's friend group but weren't successful because somebody else came over their parents came back home Something happened and it would always spoil their sadistic plan. plan to do that. So gross. So, Tori was obviously implicated, but his way to point the finger was to say that he didn't really think they were going to murder Cassie and claimed he thought they would just scare her. It's like, which is totally not believable. This is when Tori mentioned he thought they were just making a movie like the horror film Scream. The boys had plans to make their own scary movie, or rather a documentary with themselves as the subjects. They had videos from before the murder, which was proof that they had planned this horrendous crime, but also a video of just after the murder of Cassie. You can hear Brian Draper confess during this clip that I'm about to play. He states that he stabbed Cassie in the neck. He also says, I killed Cassie. Not we, not Tori, I. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm shaking. I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I oh just killed God. Cassie. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like it wasn't real. I mean, it went by so Shut fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. And so just to touch on that again... Right. So that contradicts already two lies in that just very short, short clip. He didn't just stab her in the arms and legs. He literally says, I stabbed her in the neck. Where would a fatal wound be? Neck. Neck. He was. So to me, that says that he was for sure 
going in for a kill. Now, the reason why I question it is because is it a coincidence that about half, less than half of the wounds are fatal? Do we think that Tori had six or seven and Brian had six or seven? And that's the part that I struggle with the most because either one's possible. I don't know. <clears throat> well, I mean, if he's the first place that he stabbed her was the neck, that's pretty cut and dry to me. Right? It's a terrible pun, but you know what I mean. Horrible pun, but yeah. Stab somebody in the neck, you're not. It's game over. And I guess it's just really hard for me to believe that, said before, that there are two similar minded teens who are okay with stabbing somebody to death. This isn't guns. This How do these people find each other? Yeah. I mean, that's the part that blows my mind about any killer. Duo. How did they have that first conversation that said, Do you actually want to do it? Yeah. And you know what? Something, the worst thing that in all the videos that I heard from Tori was them talking about killing Cassie or one of the friends. I'm, I can't recall right now. And saying, I'm, I'm just horny thinking about it. Yeah. Ugh. Mm -hmm. Ugh. They thought that stuff was cool. Mm -hmm. They both thought cool, which is so not cool. Sue and Billy are perfect examples. And to me, it's obvious they idolize these two within the Scream franchise. You know, I bet they watched the movie together and they probably sat there going like, oh, I'm like Sue and you're totally Billy. And like, you know, yeah, watch a different movie. They just needed to watch some comedies. And chill it's kind out. of pathetic. And I mean, I'm not a I'm not a bully or anything like that. But when I see grown ass, not grown ups, but teenagers that aren't like 11 12 13 years old who are who are talking like that it's it just screams immaturity to me yeah and i mean hella immature for like, sure like i'll be winnie the pooh and you're tigger like and that's where my mind goes but you know what i mean that would be odd for somebody my age to say to somebody your age i mean when we're watching like a normal adult movie like, for sure. It's like, holy crap, that's you. Horror me, me, movie. Me. Horror movie, not adult movie. But a horror movie? No, horror I'm not watching movie. me like, yeah, I'm so stew. <laughs> like, no. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, they're not relating themselves to, you know, the fact that Stu was funny. Mm -hmm. No, they're like, ha, ha, ha. I'm the way taller than you. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm taller and my hair's lighter, so I'm stew. Yeah. Or Just like you, I'm stupid. the main, I'm the main killer, and you're my sidekick. Kind that's of right. Thing. Yeah, I think that's maybe where their mind was going. Um, so pointing the finger at each other did nothing. There was enough evidence to prove that they both lied and were still coming up with lies. I don't know if they were insane and forgot the things they said on camera, but it came back to bite them in the ass. Brian's lies confused me even more, though, and after all this, he told police where they hid the masks and weapons and gloves. This is where they also found the video camera and tapes, so he knew that they were going to watch it, and there were still, like, lies happening. Why not just tell the full truth, the honest truth, if you were going to do that anyway? So, this is when there was a partially burned note found. And they were able to determine that that was plans of the murder and confirmation that they had planned to kill Matt if he was still there. Um, and I would like to talk about the fact that 
Matt's mom pulled him from that scenario. Because while writing this and getting into it, I pondered how I would feel as Matt's mom. You know, like I thought at first for a very short amount of time, like, oh, maybe if I had let my son stay there, that never would have happened. But then I think at the end of the day, I would have been more like, thank God I did the mom thing by saying you cannot stay there. But if she wants to come, she can. I think I'd like I'd almost feel like I saved my son. Absolutely. And it was such a horrible thing because somebody still lost their life. But she really did pull her son out of that situation by being a mom. Mm -hmm. Like saying, no, you can't stay there with your girlfriend by yourselves. Get your ass home. And if she wants to come supervised, for sure. And that is why being a cool mom ain't always the best mom. (laughs) For sure. Be a middle mom. (laughs) (laughs) So... Breaking down the videos of interest, the first being from September 21st, 2006 at 8.36 p.m. Tori is driving and Brian is in the passenger seat filming. Um, Brian says, we found our victim and sad as it may be that she's our friend, but you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard and her friends. So another key piece of information is that although, as per Matt, both boys had flirted with Cassie before, it was confirmed that Brian had asked her out in which she had declined as she was dating Matt. She was dating Matt at the time. Wow. Little pig. So I think Brian was like a little bit more outward with it, which would explain the videos of before and after as well. Whereas he was like, woo, we did it. He's like, go out with me instead of Matt. Whereas Tori did probably flirt with her and mm-hmm. pine after her secretly, but maybe was a little bit more self-conscious, shy. Respectful of his friend or no? You know, it is possible because I believe that Matt was closer with Tori than Brian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so very much so he could have just been a little bit more respectful of that because just because they feel a certain way about women, because obviously they were planning, they weren't against killing Matt, but they were planning to kill Cassie and her friends. Um, They obviously had a thing with killing girls. Could just simply be cowardly, you know? Two little scrawny boys Mm -hmm. typically don't want to take on another dude. So the recording goes on. Um, Brian says, we'll find out if she has friends over, if she's going to be alone in a big dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I mean, like, holy shit, dude. And that's when Tori says, I'm horny just thinking about it. And then they laugh together because that's just so funny. Tori then says, we're going to go down in history. We're going to be just like Scream, except real life terms. And then he says, that sounds good, baby. And Brian says, we're going to be murderers like, let's see, Ted Bundy, like the Hillside Strangler. Evil is not an expression of God. Yes, it is. It's bullshit. You know it. Evil of origin is a follower of fucking Satan. There is no Satan. Then shut up. Then how are we supposed to express ourselves? Good and bad. We're, We're bad. We're bad. That, that sounds so shitty. We're evil. That sounds hey. even shittier. We're not, okay? Then we're sick, psychopaths, 
the naked pleasure of killing other people. That sounds good, baby. We're gonna go down in history. We're gonna be just like Scream, except real life terms. That We're gonna be murderers. Like, let's see, Ted Bundy. Like the Hillside Strangler, no. the Zodiac Killer. Those people are more amateurs compared to what we're going to be. Now, I thought that maybe a possible interesting part of this was the fact that Brian tends to bring up real murders, real things, documentaries, whereas Tori brings up horror movies more. Yeah, Scream. fictional stuff. And I think that there's something there mentally that explains how they were similar criminals, but they were different. If they ended up actioning their sadistic needs by themselves, I think both of their murders would have looked way different. And so just the combination of those two created this like messy. Yeah. I think that's where they went wrong for them, right for us, right for Cassie's family, right for everybody to get that closure. Both trials started in 2007, and they were both charged with murder in the first degree and one count of conspiracy to commit murder in the first degree. And they were both tried as adults. They had a friend who helped them purchase four knives. Brian had pitched $40 while Tori had pitched $5. Tori got to choose one knife and Brian chose three. The autopsy report did state more than one knife was likely used during the murder. To me, you know, that kind of kills both their case because you were both involved. Stop pointing the finger at one another. At some point, I mean, (coughs) she died as a result of stabbing. You are negligent. To me, it doesn't matter. The specifics. Who stabbed her where. They Mm. were both guilty of murdering her. Mm Mm-hmm. Brian's defense had next to nothing to work on. You know, he admitted to some things, led investigators to evidence, and once again, he literally said on camera, I just killed Cassie. Tori stuck with his story, though, that he didn't think the murder was actually going to happen. He stuck with saying he thought they were just making a movie, um, and he still sticks to that stuff to this day. They were both found guilty, but Tori took his case through appeals and got it all the way to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which was also denied in 2022, not that long ago. Brian also appealed, but not to the same degree. He didn't really have to keep appealing because, um, you know, his he did get a small win when his attorney fought for the conspiracy conviction to be tossed out due to the jury receiving wrong or incorrect instructions. And they won that and it was tossed out. Many opinions of Brian is that he took his conviction and owned it in a way um, that because he didn't appeal as much as Tory, he was more accepting of his sentencing uh, or that because he kind of told the truth sometimes. And I think the information on his appeal and when to toss out the conviction fully contradicts that theory. Um, to me, it would be different if he had confessed due to his guilt, but he simply put it all on Tori, and we know that they were both kind of equally involved, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a substantial amount of evidence that piles up against Brian specifically. I'd say he was the brains of the operation, uh, but that's just the vibe I get. Tori had frontal lobe issues, mental health issues. Uh, I'm sure Brian did as well. The mental health issues, there's no way that he didn't um, if he was okay with going along with 
the murders and, you know, saying the things that he did. But they did say that Tori acted young for his age. And I think mental health really played a huge part in Tori's involvement. It does not excuse murdering an innocent girl. It only explains how one's brain can be altered when struggling with these things and these ideas. And you see that pretty often, you know. I'm wondering about his impulse controls. Also important to take into consideration is the 2012 Miller v. Alabama case in which the United States Supreme Court ruled that mandatory sentences of life without possibility of parole are unconstitutional for juveniles, even in cases of murder. In 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Montgomery v. Louisiana that the Miller v. Alabama ruling should be applied retroactively. The decision made more than 2,000 inmates across the country eligible for resentencing for the possibility of eventual freedom, including Tory and Brian. Like I said, Tory's most recent denial was in 2022, so I'm not sure if this will come into play at a later date for him, um, but it's definitely something that should be talked about more. And if, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you've already gotten to the Ninth Circuit, and it was just denied in 2022. Isn't that game over for at least Tory? At um, least that's my understanding of it. It might be totally incorrect. Um, if somebody knows more about it, please, like, I'd love it if you could spare a few moments and just reach out to us on Facebook or whatever, and you can let me know. But I just, like, I don't know 100% how the American justice system works with their appeal process yeah um it feels game over for tori and i think that's also why i focused on brian more is that like i'm worried that because he already had one mm -hmm. thing thrown out he might actually, he see, might a actually day. see a day outside of that prison cell and i'm not worried about tori getting out his mom i believe has already tried like lots of different things to try and get him out i don't know if it's this case but is she the one who wrote a wrote a book i'm okay i, I think no, well uh dylan klebold's mother wrote a book and she's actually um i want to say she's like a motivational speaker i raised yeah. one of the columbine shooters it might seem like I know, but I don't really know a whole lot about that case. I know what happened that day in the school, where they got the guns. I know that uh, Eric um, had some disappointments with um, applying for military and stuff like this and had been in trouble before. I I knew a lot more like seven years ago. Sure. I just oh, and when it first stuff. happened, like I remember when it first happened again. Yeah. Um, I'm one of those lucky enough to remember a time when we didn't have the internet and we had to sit and wait for the news to come on to get updates and and watching things like that unfold live on not live I guess but live recordings on the news it was just riveting couldn't take my eyes off the tv it was pretty disturbing so I did find the book um I guess I decided not to put it in here, probably because I didn't want to give it attention, but I didn't actually find out that she ended up publishing it, whether it's just online. Uh, it's very possible. I do know that she went to multiple publishers to try and get her book out there. His they, mom? Yeah. 
uh, Tori's mom, mm-hmm. Shannon. And they all said, no, fuck off. And I did find it on here. So it's something that you can get. It's got one star because you can't leave zero stars. And it's got some vicious reviews. Pretty much just attacking Shannon for... Mm-hmm. She protects her son and believes him full force and thinks that he should be out of jail. So they're telling her that pretty much the apple does not fall far from the tree. And the book is just about how it... She thinks all the odds were stacked up against Tori and that he didn't receive fairness. And I think that that is just such a horrible, horrible thing to do, especially outside of the room between you and your son. Like to take that to a book and to pass that book around and pass around. Like in it, it literally says 16-year-old, Cassie Joe Stoddard agreed to house sit for relatives on the weekend of like almost saying like she agreed like just the wording it rubs me the wrong way keep my wife's name <laughs> out your- well I was gonna say it's I mean it sounds like and it's an epidemic there are some psycho moms out there that never hold That's their kids the accountable and um no different than who's he uh Luca Magnata his mom is uh She's touched. She is uh, special. Um, again, maybe we can cover that case, but totally believed all of her son's bullshit. And I mean, it's sad as a mother to sit and watch these other women. And fair enough, I do not have all the information, but from what the court system says, these people are guilty. So mom needs to step into a role and and teach their kids how to take accountability and yeah and instead it seems like she's attacking the american justice system by comparing the fact that people young adults can get away because i'm calling them young adults 16 isn't that young no but they're not grown no but their brains aren't fully developed obviously and especially in tori's regard like i totally acknowledge that and that's probably why she struggles so much is because she probably feels that she failed as a parent because she probably knows that her son has maybe like some learning disabilities and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so she's probably literally seeing like her 12 year old 13 year old boy Mm -hmm. being tried as a 16 year old but then also being tried as an adult and she's probably having a hard time wrapping her head around it but it's like at some point you got to stop. So, but she, it seems like she's comparing it to other countries' justice systems, which won't convict a 16 year old as an adult with no parole. But also, you know, in other countries, you know, you probably get way less for chopping somebody's head off. So I think that's just a horrible comparison. Mm-hmm. I think that if anything, the justice system needs to be more strict not more lenient though i guess with with i guess i don't know wow it's hard (laughs) because like the people who could be innocent it's like oh well i wish it was lenient more lenient for them making a murderer damn what they have to do is they they need to start incorporating mental health yeah with um rehabilitation and look at the rates of recidivism and um, meant to me, mental health plays a huge role in everything, all all crimes. There, are, 
You can't tell me that a perfectly normal, well-adjusted human being is going to go out and kill one day for no reason. There's an issue there. There's self-defense, sure. There's, um, no, that's about it. Unless it's a complete 100% an accident, but that's not murder. But uh, self-defense would be about the only way that a well-adjusted human being would take another person's life without some sort of mental illness um, underlying. So they need to incorporate mental health into any kind of rehabilitation um, and accountability. I agree fully. Side note, guess what she called her book? The guilty. You sure you want to plug it on here? I feel like if people want to give her $7, but then also tell her that she's a piece of shit, that's up to them. Because that's what all these people are doing. They're, they might be giving her the 7 bucks, but they're also just kind of doing it so that they can leave this review attacking her. Like, I think that people can use their own discretion on if they want to do that or not. But it's called The Guilty Innocent, which I'm wondering if she's saying that her son is guilty but because he was a child he should he's, he's innocent an, he's an innocent he's an Not innocent he child is innocent. guilty of murder he is an innocent yeah very interesting i almost want to get the book to understand where her brain's going on it if there's anything um i feel like she should just sink into the abyss and live her life and let her kid um learn something in prison unfortunate but she's been very involved in these appeals so i don't think that's gonna happen even more shocking though um is that she actually sells it on amazon for 17 dollars, and it has 3.3 star review that's gonna make me think twice about the amazon reviews before i buy things how could that possibly be it does have oh but oh god the picture on it why would you pick that picture of your son? I'm judging. I need to stop. Yeah. Do I see it? Look at this creepy ass fucking photo. <laughs> yeah, she's obviously not all there. I fucking tick. As some final words, I believe Cassie's brother, Andrew, says it best. He stated, it makes you appreciate things a lot more. You never know how fragile life is. You never know how easy it is for someone to be gone the next day. We love her. It's always going to be a part of us. It's not like it's ever going to go away. It's always on the back of our minds, but we focus on keeping our family strong instead of focusing on the bad. We focus on the good and when she was still around. Nobody should ever have to go through this. So I think it's safe to say that we will close the book on this one. If there's any updates with the appeals or any new information, we will be sure to update on our Facebook page, True Crime Story Podcast. But besides that, I think this one is pretty much shut and closed. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it'll help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. And if you wish to reach out to us, you may do so through email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye. Bye.